0: I release the kids through grade four off to the classes that are ready for them as we jump into Ephesians chapter four. And uh, before we do that, uh, I'm so grateful for Glenn reading the whole chapter. If you've been part of us for a while, you know that we've been in chapter four for a couple of weeks, so we're building on that. But I really wanted you to grab this thing in context because um, there's so much to be gained from that. But before we do that, a couple of things I'd like to uh, just chat with you about. First of all, we've got a couple of our, of our global partners are here. John is here from Honduras, and Dan is here from up in Bemidji, and it's great to see you. And there's a reason they're here, and the reason they're here is because it's their mom's 90th birthday. And so, amen, so they've got a whole bunch of rows there. And uh, it's just really exciting to have you all here. And, uh, you know, having grown up with you, it's kind of interesting. So it's it's great to have you here. Virginia, happy birthday. Uh, just such a blessing. You've been to so many in the prayer, the prayers that you've offered for the church, but for your family as well. And as I was at your gathering yesterday to stand in a room and see what God had done and for you and I to be able to celebrate that. What God has done through a mom and a dad who are faithful, and so thank you for being an example for us, and thank you all for uh, for being an example as well. So we're glad you're here, um, and so yeah, amen. Boy, it's good. Also, today is Pentecost, and you may or may not be aware of that, but today is Pentecost, which means fifty, right? And and so. Um, it's a festival that the Jewish people would actually be doing. And so Pentecost is a Greek name for it. Hebrew would be Shavuot. And uh, Shavuot was observed by the Jewish people. And uh, it was laid out in Leviticus chapter 23 as one of the spring festivals, the fourth spring festival. And being the fourth, it was the final spring festival. And uh, we understand that those four spring festivals were fulfilled in Jesus' first advent, the first coming of Jesus, and that the, the fall festivals will be, will be uh, fulfilled in his second coming, but these, uh, these spring feasts, and so Shavuot was a, a special festival. It was a festival when, again, Jewish people would be making their pilgrimage into Jerusalem to be at the temple to offer uh, sacrifices. And um, they actually would be bringing their, their first fruits in that. Uh, what would happen is early in the spring when, when a bud would come, and the first bud on the tree that would begin to turn to fruit, they would wrap a ribbon around that. And then when that came to, to, to be harvested, they would bring that on Shavuot as, as an offering. And um, also the Jewish people observed this and recognized traditionally that this was celebrating the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. And so in that way, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, in a way, was the birth of the Jewish nation. It was the giving of the law, it was the marriage of of God, if you will, to his people. And so it's this amazing thing that they would celebrate for thousands of years, and then would come the day of Pentecost that we observe, which was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was promised in Joel. And Acts 2 talks about this. And so it was this promised Holy Spirit that God poured out on his people. So you can imagine, for thousands of years, they're celebrating Shavuot, and so they came into the the city of Jerusalem on this particular festival, ready to celebrate the way they had all along, and God did something amazing. As 120 people prayed, and tongues of fire came on them, and the place shook, and, and they began to speak in different tongues, and 3,000 people that day, 3,000 Jews came to to understand that Jesus was the promised Messiah and the Holy Spirit came on them. And ever since, as you come to a place in your life where you recognize and realize that your sin has separated you from God and you ask for forgiveness and trust trust Jesus as your Savior and, and come to a saving knowledge of him, the Holy Spirit comes in your life and fills you with power, and begins to, to change and transform you into the person that God's designed for you to be. So the Holy Spirit, and we celebrate that today as we consider the day of Pentecost, but we also consider the faithfulness of God to his promises over all the years. Ephesians chapter 4. As we look at this, we're looking at the old and new part two. Last week, we looked at the the idea of the old and the new, that that miraculous moment of time when we come to know Jesus as our Savior, and, and, and our old self is put off, and our new self is put on, and that's a miraculous work of God. There's nothing we can do to make that happen. Only God can do that, but as he does that, then Paul, as he's writing to this church and helping them to understand the importance of unity that comes in the Spirit. We have one Lord, one Spirit, one faith, one baptism. And, and as he's talking about that, this unity that he longs for this church to have between Jew and Gentile, but just in general, to, to help them understand that we are all members of one body. We're, we're members of the body of Christ and that it's the grace of God that has been bestowed upon us for that to happen. And, and so, in unity. Staying together is is a major theme as Paul continues to talk. And as he, last week as we looked at this, that he said you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. And so he laid the principles, and now this week, as we look at the passage, we're going to see that he's going to put practices forth that help us fulfill the principles. And so the idea for today is that the new self passionately pursues new practices. Our new self passionately pursues new practices. And, and so there's this idea that that there is no such thing as a passive Christian. Christian Christianity is not passive. Christianity is active. When, when I become passive, I fall into my old self, and I fall into these practices of the old self Instead of aggressively, even, passionately, pursuing these new practices. Now, as we look at this passage today, it very easily could slip into a passages of, of do's and don'ts. And as we look at this, that's, it could be read as, these are a list of do's and don'ts. And that's because it is. But it's more than that. And that's what's important to remember. It's the heart of God. It's the heart of God expressing itself to us. And, and it's the heart of God allowing us to, to realize what do we need to put off and what do we need to put on. And so the list, I would say, is, is yes, a list of do's and don'ts, but more than that, it's a list of the identifying characteristics of my old self and it's a list of the identified characteristics of my new self. And so as I look at this list, and I look at at Paul giving us what we should put off and what we should put on, it allows me to check myself and see if these are part of what I'm doing, then I can see I'm living out these characteristics of this old nature. But if I see these things are part of my life, then I can see that I'm living out the characteristics of my new nature. And again, as we look at these, we're gonna see that This is where we go passively. This is where we go when we're really pursuing passionately the practices that God has laid out for us. I'm in the middle of a book called Heaven is a Place on Earth by Michael Whitmer. And he's got a quote here I'd like to read for you. He's talking about Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and their sin of eating the fruit. Who could have guessed such a small thing, eating a fruit, would degenerate into murder within one generation? How could such a small sin reach such large consequences? We saw earlier that Adam and Eve's sin was motivated by their autonomy. They wanted to do what they wanted to do, and no one, not even God, could cramp their style. Because every sin comes from autonomy. Every sin, no matter how small it seems on the surface, conceals an iceberg of devastation below. Once Adam and Eve gave way to autonomy, they guaranteed that their sin would not remain small for long. Autonomous individuals will sin as large as they need to keep themselves on top. Autonomy for Adam and Eve meant eating a piece of fruit. Autonomy for their son meant murdering his brother. So, Adam and Eve lived to witness the awful consequences of their sin. They lived long enough to see one son kill another. Adam lived long enough to see his sin degenerate into the cesspool of Genesis chapter 6. Placing Adam's 930 years into the genealogy of Genesis 5, we discover that the next person born after Adam's death was Noah. Since we know that the world in Noah's day was exceedingly evil, it is likely that Adam saw more than he wanted of devastation his sin brought upon the world. Now, I had never considered that before. That, that Adam lived 930 years seeing the consequences of his sin, of one sin. The, the consequences of that one sin can you imagine what it would have been like to be adam and and to have observed that for nine hundred and thirty years no i don't I don't bring this so that we begin to feel guilty and feel shame it, it, because Jesus has forgiven us, and, and, and he's taken our, our sin and our guilt and our shame. So that's not the point here. The point is to realize that our sins carry consequences. And sometimes we think, well, if I do this, it's not all that bad, and, and it'll only affect me. But that's not the case, see, because our sins impact and have consequences that expand. Imagine if you could see the consequences of of, of one of your sins. And you could see how that plays out over, over years, over decades. And again, it's not about feeling guilty or shame. That's not the point. The point is to realize and recognize that we've been made in the image of God. And that our sin has broken that. And and our sin has brought this old nature into our lives. But God has put on this new nature that's being made in his image, which allows us allows us, and gives us the power to make choices that don't carry the consequences of sin. And, and so as we look at these two things and we see these two things, we see that, the, the, that these, these things that Paul is talking about that are part of the new self are things that don't break the unity of that God has designed for us to have, with him first and then with each other, that as we come together as the family of God, each one of us who've, who followed Jesus, who've, who've been rescued and saved and, and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, that unity, each one of the things that Paul is telling us to put off are things that break that unity, and each of the things that he's telling us to put on are things that strengthen that unity. So the list, there's about eight things we'll go through quickly, about 10 minutes apiece, and we'll be all set. So the first thing we see is that truth is absolute. Truth is absolute. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. So we must put off falsehood. Falsehood believes over here. And we need to speak truthfully. Truthfully belongs over here. And, and so it's like sometimes I get asked the question, is it, you know, is it okay to lie? And, and you know, is there ever a, a time when it's okay to lie? And, and, and Jesus kind of helps us with that. In John chapter 8, he says, when he, the father, or the devil, lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. So we understand that we've been given the spirit of truth. If we've come to know the Lord, we've been given the spirit of truth. And the spirit of truth speaks truth. And our old self is monitored by this father of lies. And the father of lies speaks lies. So is it okay to tell a lie? Sure, if you're over here. You see, we're not over here, right? We're over here. And so we understand that lies are, are, are the language of Satan. And so we understand that as we, as we speak lies, we're speaking the language of Satan. And so Paul says we need to put off lies and we need to speak truth. And the reason is that we are all members of one body. We are all members of one body. So there's no reason to lie to each other. And so as we look at that, we see that the truth spoken and And boy, this gets tough, doesn't it? Because how many times do you get in a situation where you're asked a question, and for whatever reason, it's a little tough to answer the truth, and so passively, it's much easier to tell the lie. But see, as we passionately pursue this new self, these new practices, we work past that. The second thing we see is that anger is controlled. Anger is controlled. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sin or the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So, in your anger, do not sin. Now, some of your translations might say, be angry and do not sin. And so it's like, well, wait a minute. What's that about? I, I thought it was always wrong to be angry. Well, if I could, you know, if Mr. Rogers was here, right, he would say, it's okay to feel angry, you know? It is. It's okay to feel angry because when we, when we feel anger, that's part of the image of God in us. See, God, God expresses anger. Now, there is a way to be angry without sinning. See, and if we're angry without sinning, we're doing it in the way that God has done it. right, so there is a way to be angry. What's the difference? Well, the difference is the anger that God has does not control him, right? He controls his anger. And so our anger, if we allow our anger to control us, then we're over here. We're over here in a place where anger is controlling us instead of us, by God's grace, being allowed to control anger. Now, what are the things that, that cause us anger? They're not the things that are against ourselves necessarily unless they're huge injustices that are done against us, but they're the things that are done against God. And so these, these things that, that cause us anger, they're all over the place in this world. Okay, we pray about abortion. Man, I get angry about abortion. We we pray about the people who've been who, who've who've experienced the, the devastation of abortion and the guilt and the shame that they feel. I, I get angry about that. I get angry with the, with the impact that Satan has in our world. I get angry with the people who are, who are being confused and being distorted. I get angry about those things. But that anger doesn't control me. It's an anger that, that's the same type of anger that God has as he looks at this. Because if we're angry without sinning, we do not give the devil a foothold. Now, literally, what that means is we give no place to the devil, See, if we're angry without sinning, we give no place to the devil. And the reason that's important is expressed in Romans chapter 12. It says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. In other words, that text is saying, give place for God's wrath. See, and if we're angry in a way that brings sin involved into it, what we do is we give Satan a place that belongs to God. Vengeance belongs to God. We're, we're to leave room for God's wrath, not to take, not to take that place and give it to Satan. So we don't want to give Satan the place that belongs to God. So, in our anger, we do not sin. And do not let the sin, go, or do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And what that means is, don't let the stuff stir inside of you. A lot of times we use this, and we see this in marriage conferences, and it's talking about don't go to sleep without making up with your wife. Yeah, that's all true, but it's bigger than that, and it's much bigger than that. You shouldn't do that, but, but you, shouldn't, you shouldn't carry anger that controls you into the night. You shouldn't let that fester in you selfishness is set aside the next practice we see here we're going through these practices and the next practice we see that Paul says is that anyone who is stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that may have something to share with those in need so the stealer should steal no longer but must work right, so this idea of somebody who's been stealing shouldn't steal anymore, but they should begin working, doing something useful with their own hands. Now, Now, this is significant because as I've thought about this, if I'm a person who steals, I'm a person who's decided what you're supposed to share with me, right? You know, I break into your house and I say, yeah, you should share your TV with me. And so I take your TV. Uh, you should share that pencil with me, or you should, you know, whatever it is. I mean, and so as we begin to do that, uh, a thief decides what you're supposed to share with him. But what Paul is saying is that a person must work doing something useful with their hands so that they have something to share with those who are in need. So it's this idea, instead of deciding what you need to share with me, I need to be focused on what can I, what can I bring into the equation so that I have something to share with you, and so there's this idea that when we look at this stealing and, and it's working with your own hands, see stealing takes with hands. But but working gives with hands. And it reminds me of Romans 6, where it says, do not offer the parts of your body uh, as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer them to God as instruments of righteousness. So I take my hands and I say, okay, am I going to use these to take what I, what I haven't earned? Or am I going to, to use them to earn some things so that I can give to other people who have a need? And work, as we understand in, in Scripture, is, is in so many ways, it's an act of worship, it's this way in which we we find that we can contribute okay and 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 there's compensation involved obviously there's some compensation so that I will have something to share with people in need but but it's really this idea of of how can I use my hands to contribute to, to culture to society but then how can I also use my hands to share with other people to, to take for people who are in need, and this would have been very significant to this church that Paul is writing to, because that church in Ephesus, at that point in time, if you weren't working, you didn't eat, and so the only way you could eat was to go and steal things, and so, so he's talking to people who are, who are in some ways just stealing to exist, And so this idea of sharing with people in need takes us back to Acts 2.42, where it's the idea that when the church comes together, we're sharing with each other so there aren't those people who are in such great need. And see, a lot of times we pass by those people. That's why that poverty simulation is going to be so important for us to really understand. There are a lot of people we rub against each day who are really struggling to survive, they're trying to decide if they should pay their rent or go buy food. And around the world, it gets even worse. So to stop and think about how can we take our hands, how can we, how can we use them in such a way that we have something to share with people who are in need. The next pr- uh, practice is speech is gratifying or graciously edifying. Speech is graciously edifying. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is a verse that I have memorized. It's a verse that I usually share in premarital counseling. It's a verse that I share in marital counseling. It says, you know, but it's got so much more meaning than this. And it really speaks so powerfully. It's this idea of do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth now that word unwholesome some of your translations may have the word corrupt there and and this idea of corrupt means like rotten and foul and putrid and karen and i bought a pineapple a couple of weeks ago you know it was kind of the first one of the season all right and so you know you're really looking forward to it i don't know if you're pineapple lovers in here okay so yeah hmm hey it's good they got a white one on the island of Kauai that's to die for. But anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. Not even sure why I said it. Okay. Where was I? All right, pineapple. So we get this pineapple, we get it home. And I'm really excited because it's been a while. And so, you know, you cut off both ends, and then you start to peel off the sides. and And I'm noticing that that it's been a while since I peeled a pineapple, but I'm noticing this one doesn't look quite right, okay? And, and there's some texture in there that's not, you know, and, and then you cut in, and it's, it's kind of mushy. It's got some brown color to it. And I'm thinking, well, it's been a while since I've had a pineapple, so maybe, you know, they're different than they used to be. And so, you know, I continue cutting it because I'm really looking forward to having it, and I'm noticing that... That it doesn't smell the way I remember pineapples used to smell either, and, and, but, I'm, but I'm really wanting this pineapple, and so I'm, I'm thinking, well, it doesn't smell right, doesn't look like it, but, but maybe, just maybe, you know, so I took a bite of it, right? No, no, oh, it was putrid, it was putrid, it, 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 was, it was rotten, it was worthless, it ended up in the garbage because it was worthless, see, that's what that word means, That's what that's talking about. It's talking about don't let any rotten, putrid, worthless talk come out of your mouths because that belongs over here. And you know it belongs over here because of how easy it comes off your tongue, right? But instead, he says, only say what is helpful for building others up according to their needs so that it can benefit those who listen. Think about your conversations. If somebody overheard your conversation, would it benefit them? Every conversation you have, if somebody overheard it, would it benefit them? Or would it be like, hey, see, there's this other thing that happens. And, And remember, we're talking about the fact that we have to passionately pursue these new practices. Passively, we got that, but, But our new self, as we put that on, we're we're looking to build others up according to their needs. Now, that requires something special. That requires that I know a person's needs. And in order to know a person's needs, I have to look past mine. Right? Because I'm over here. I'm thinking about what my needs are. And if I think you're supposed to be meeting my needs in some way and you're not, then there's obviously something wrong with you okay, and I'll begin to talk about your character with worthless talk. But if I'm over here, what I'm understanding is God has brought you into my life because there might be some need you have that I could help with, and I could speak some words to you that could build you up and help you realize that. See, those are words that are not worthless, not rotten. They're helpful, This is one of those verses, like I say, I have it memorized. And Scripture tells us, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I love that. So many times, this verse comes to my mind after I've said the rotten stuff, right? And so I just keep working on this. Just keep looking at what are the needs people have and how can I meet those needs and how can I do that? Because listen, the other stuff, that worthless stuff... That builds the old self. It breaks community instead of building community. The next thing we see is that ill will is removed. Ill will is removed. Oh, I missed a whole bunch of stuff, Bob. All right, ill will is removed. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Ill will is removed. Get rid of every form of malice. So as we look at this verse, that malice word, what that means is ill will. It talks about motive. It's this idea that that I, I, live, I live with this with this thought process that I need to look good, and the best way for me to look good is to make you look bad instead of trying to make myself look good and trying to beat you down. And so what happens is, is I bring into my life bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. And, it, and you might say, well, wait a minute. How, how come we're supposed to get rid of anger when, when just a couple of verses ago, Paul said anger was okay, this is anger that carries malice with it. This is that anger that has ill will. And what we're looking at is bitterness is your attitude, rage and anger are your disposition or your frame of mind, and brawling and slatter are your speech. So as we look at this, when I have ill will towards other people, my attitude, my disposition, and my speech are impacted by that. Now, as you look at this list of five things, bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, wouldn't you love to hang around with a person who's got those things in their lives? I mean, aren't, aren't they the ones you gravitate towards? I, I'm feeling a little down. I think I'll go find someone who's bitter that I can brawl with and and, you know, and end up having a big, you know, right? No, you, you, you know, I mean, that's not pleasant, and that breaks community. And yet, how many of us carry bitterness? How many, how many of us have these things that we we just allow to stew inside of us? And, and, they, and they, they carry this ill will. And that ill will can even be directed at ourselves. And so we have these, these things that we just can't let go of, and they stew in us, and they, and they simmer in us, and they, and they cause this... This bitterness, and then the next thing you know, there's this underlying anger that just pops out at the most inopportune times, and and brings this this brawling, this this shouting, and evil speaking, and abusive language. All right, and then Paul's saying, get rid of that stuff. Hey, Amen. Wouldn't you love to? Well, how do you do that? Well, you replace it with tender-hearted, gracious, um, compassion and that becomes the norm. You take that bitterness and all of those things, you take that ill will, you take that wanting the worst for someone, and instead you replace it with wanting the best for them, this gracious compassion. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So it's being kind and compassionate to one another. That word compassionate means your your innards yearn for someone. It's an action word. It's, 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 It's you see that need and your innards yearn for them and you long to step in to take action to help that person. And so there's that, and then there's this tender-heartedness that that be kind means. It's it's this tender-heartedness towards another person. Now, the way that Paul's writing this, it's it's not that this is who we who we are. It's who we are to become. So it's not so much about being as it is about becoming. It's constantly growing into this and becoming this person who's tender-hearted and who's compassionate and who's gracious. See, it says forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The, the passage here, and as Paul writes this, it seems that, that he's carrying even a greater weight than forgiveness, if that could be possible. And what I mean by that is, is as you read this, it, it actually is talking about having graciousness identify you. Forgiveness is a huge part of graciousness. Okay, but there's, there's even a little bit more than forgiving. It's the attitude that brings that forgiveness. And so it's instead of wanting the worst for someone, wanting the best for them is to have this gracious attitude come into your life. And, and in verse seven, it says to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. See, grace has been poured into your life. It's been poured into your life. And it's been poured into your life so that you can pour it out into others' lives. Just as in Christ God forgave you, just as in Christ God lavished grace into you, so you lavish grace into others. See, my, my passive side is to want the best, no matter what happens to you. Whereas my, my new self is passionately pursuing the best for you it's it's sending grace to you and it's extending that grace through my inner yearning to see you reach the potential god has for you as i have a tender heart the next thing is to imitate god god is imitated follow god's example therefore as dearly loved children god's example and and it means to imitate him to imitate your father He's your father. And 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 I think of how I used to love to imitate my dad. And and now my opportunity to imitate my my father in heaven because I'm a dearly loved child. See, in this this word dearly loved children, what that what that carries behind it is the idea that God loves you as if you were his only child. It's that extent of love. That's what that means. He loves you as if you were his only child, even though he's got like billions of children, okay? Billions have been adopted into his family. He loves you with that type of a love. And when you understand that love that God has for you, and you understand, boy, the the peace that that brings into your life and, and the, what it means to be loved when you grasp that, when you understand it, your heart's desire is to imitate that for other people so that they can experience the same kind of love that you've found. And so what happens is love becomes the way that you walk. It becomes the way of your life. You walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering sacrifice to God. So you walk in the way of love. When you understand it, you do just as Jesus did. You're so overwhelmed by the love of God. When you get over here and you're doing these practices, you're so overwhelmed by the love of God that that's just the way you walk. It just radiates from you. And it extends to others. And your, your talk changes. Everything changes. And this list becomes not a list of what's right and wrong, but it's a list that identifies you. But more importantly, it's a list that identifies us. Because we're building each other up to become mature. We use these things, these practices of this new self, we use these to build each other up so that the body of Christ is strong, so that the body of Christ goes out into the world. We come together to know Christ so we can go and make him known. And that happens as we build each other up. Because Truth is absolute. When I talk to you, I know what comes out of your mouth is true. Your anger is controlled, selfishness is set aside, speech is graciously edifying. Ill will is removed, tender-hearted, compassionate, gracious. Gracious compassion is the norm. God is imitated and love is the way of life. Listen, don't you want to belong to a group of people like that? It's called the church. You see? It's called the church. That's a group of people That are identified by this i need your help to be this and you need my help to be this we need each other that's why we're a body and that's why we come together so so what how can i more passionately pursue the practices of my new self what what are the places in your life where you've just allowed yourself to passively sit over here and, and, and it just happens and, and you're over here and you're going, what am I doing here? And how do you need to get more proactive in passionately getting over here where you know you want to be and where the Spirit of God is empowering you to be? Oh God, thank you. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for these things that that we've gone through so quickly. But Lord, thanks for preserving them for us in writing so we can go back and read them over. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you that the Spirit longs to unify us. God, may that be the case in each of our lives. For me, Lord, as I've studied this with you, as we've studied it with you together today, Lord, I pray that you're putting your finger on some things in our lives. Things that that we can be changing because we want to be a strong body for our head, the Lord Jesus. We want to encourage each other in that. So help us with that. Will you please, God, according to your grace and mercy poured into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. May I please ask you to stand and hear God's good word for you? Again, staying in Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even begin to imagine, according to his power that it is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen? Amen. Oh, I love you and I release you to a week of work Witness and worship. God bless.